Welcome to another Hunt Lore podcast episode. My name is David Hepner. Today, I talked to Mike Davenport. We first met back in 2011 when he came up to stick flingers to bow hunt bears. So we got to chatting then and I realized, man, this guy has a ton of interesting stories and a good story of how hunting played a very positive role in his life. Since his dad was in and out of jail, his mom raised him and luckily for Mike, he found hunting and that really helped him stay out of trouble and gave him something to look forward to. He tells a story about how he got his first deer and his mom and him had to learn how to cut it up right there and put it in the back of their their car. He is also a very accomplished whitetail hunter taking five bucks that score over 170. He tells a story about sitting on a bucket in a swamp. You won't want to miss that one. Lastly, we get into the philosophical aspects of hunting and discuss the value of hunting in our lives. You won't want to miss this one, as I say with everyone. So sit back, listen, and enjoy. My name is David Hepner, and this is the Hunt Lord Podcast, where we will spark our imaginations and pay tribute to the time-honored tradition of hunting by sharing our stories of the hunt. Hunt Lore is brought to you by Black Bear Wear, bear hunting apparel for bear hunters and everyone else. Get it, wear it, share it. Hello? Hey, Mike. Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Just got done shooting my bow after work. Nice. Getting everything lined up. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, dude. How you been? How's the family? Oh, they're yeah, we're doing good. Everyone's growing like weeds, of course, over here. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. I, I'm taking uh, my daughter to college. I got I'll have an empty nest come Friday. It's weird. No kidding. Super weird. That's a new stage of life. Huge. Yeah, man. I, I don't know what to say. My wife and I are both like, wait. Both kids are going to be at college. The dogs are just going to get spoiled. That's just the bottom. You know, that it's going to be a different life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does that mean there's going to be some more hunting time for you? I don't, man. You know, I really don't know. I, I've been very blessed because my wife's been super cool about stuff like that through the years. And um, my job is a Monday through Thursday job. So uh, maybe another trip added in there. Um she and I have a couple of trips planned in the next couple of years. So, you know, just kind of, we'll see, we'll see how things go. Money's a little bit, a little bit tight because I got two kids in college. <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. Yeah. So, so but they're both going to be doctors. One wants to be a person doctor and one wants to be a animal doctor. So no if kidding. I could just hold on for a few years, they'll, they'll pick up the old man slack down the road. Maybe. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. Well, they got the right mentor you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> to I help hope, them through that. So. I hope so. I, I hope so. I hope they're, I hope they, I know my son and daughter both uh, have appreciated both Lynette and I working in the medical field and just grinding it out through the years, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I'm super hopeful that they'll take that work ethic that they've gotten yeah. parlay that into helping other people and at the same time making a, a good living, you know? Yeah. So you'd recommend that, eh? It's a pretty good career for kids if they're got obviously the intelligence for it and the work ethic. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, my son started out uh, his first year of college. He he, well, he's a physics major. He's super smart, and he um, he got to college and was you know starting you know physics and made great grades. But um, halfway through the first year, he came home and said, "What's the use of being really smart if I'm not able to help anyone?" And so he wanted to go to med school. So that kind of um, opened my eyes to you know what's what he's capable of. So he switched over to the pre-med curriculum and came home closer to, um, in Kentucky, which is only a couple of hours away versus Alabama, which is seven hours away. So he, he's doing it and he's uh, making great grades. So I, I think for any kid, especially in the medical field, uh, I mean, look, there, there are a bunch of jobs out there, but medicine, you're always going to have a job. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's always going to be there. Yeah, I just asked because like my oldest son, Noah, there, he's 15 and pretty bright guy, you know, really good grades and really uh, like a strong work ethic. And yeah. one of my good buddies there, Jason, uh, you've, you've seen him like in the pictures with bears and whatnot. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 And he's he's a nurse and he's just mentioned that to Noah the one day he said, man, you should be you should be a doctor. Right. And it, he never yeah. really thought of that. So that's kind of interesting that you bring that up. So yeah, it's not really hunting related, yeah, I but, mean, but in a, in a way it is hunting related because our careers can help us, uh, hunt more. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Like, uh, I've always, I've, I've, I told my son, I'm like, okay, man, you go along and cause he wants to do oncology. He wants to do pediatric oncology, which is, you know, kind of a pediatric cancer doctor. And, and, uh, I'm like, okay, you go along and cure cancer. I want, I want like a villa in New Zealand or something, you know, I want to, I want, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to go somewhere. I want, I want you to somewhere, send me somewhere really nice. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Hunt red stag so. or something like that. Right. Out there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Exactly, well, so. yeah. Thanks for coming on here onto the hunt lore podcast. Really appreciate it for one. Yeah, man. I'm thanks. Yeah. And, uh, I guess just a little bit of background, like I'm going to do an intro before like when i release this people will hear kind of how we we met through stick flingers he came up to ryan's camp the first year that it was in operation and yeah and you ended up shooting a pretty decent bear eh? (laughs) yeah well to tell the to tell the truth you know i was a total newbie when it came to bear hunting and to you know i've had dreams of my whole life of hunting going different places I, i didn't grow up with any money i grew up with a lot of dreams and and uh, one of the things i wanted to do was go bear hunting and then to meet ryan through uh online forum through trad gang and see you know that he was a good guy and and i i told him before he even had an operation like you ever decide to have an operation like run a hunting operation i want to come up and and be a client so that's kind of where it started you know first first day in camp i meet you get to meet uh, Ryan and, and just, it's, it's just the perfect situation for me, kind of a smaller operation, bunch of great guys. And, um, literally the first night I sat on a bear stand, I killed a giant to me, just a giant, you know, <laughs> seven foot chocolate with a big blaze. You know, it was just oh, yeah. like <laughs> insane. Yeah. That was pretty good. That, that was a fun week. You know, that was, I think our last week as well. And the bears were moving really good. We had a number of nice oh, bears. Yeah. 
bears taken. We also, you and I shared a pretty good, um, I guess, story together, you know, like a situation there with that bear that was shot off while one of our old baits there. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. 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 That big, that beautiful blonde bear. Yeah. yeah. We were, it, it was so funny because the guy who killed that bear uh, is a true life rocket scientist. I mean, like, he's, <laughs> he, if I remember, he was, he was from uh, Huntsville and was like in the space and rocket industry and a super good guy, but he had made a, you know, hit a little far back and didn't have a lot of blood. And, you know, we did a grid search and I, I, I was able to go with you and you and I were just going along and looking grid search and it was getting pretty bleak. And then bam, there's the bear laying there stone dead. It was, oh, yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you saw it like I'm a short guy and you're a tall guy. And we're tag teaming yeah. it there. <laughs> it was, right. uh, yeah. You had the underbrush and yeah. I had the overbrush. Yeah, it worked right. out perfect. <laughs> and you're able to see that. And uh, his name his name was James that I remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he actually put that bear. It was it was a beautiful bear. It wasn't a giant bear. And we convinced him to put it on his shoulders and walk out. I it. still have that photo somewhere, man. It was, he was like, it, actually, he told us, I don't know if you remember this, but he, he was like, Man, if you find that bear, I'm carrying it out of my shoulder. Oh, did he? And no I'm way. like, okay, we're you know we're gonna find this bear, you know. Yeah. Um, but it it was it was classic. I got a picture of him. It was a, I mean, even though I mean, a, even a five foot bear, or a four and a half foot bear, whatever it was, it was just a beautiful blonde. Oh. Just the most. It's probably the prettiest bear I've ever seen. You know, that kind of blonde color. I would agree um, with that. I would agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he we helped, we hoisted it onto his shoulders and. I don't even think he took a rest, man. I think he was so he was so pumped up on adrenaline that he carried yeah. carried that Joker out of there, which was <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's just fun. How hunting can kind of um, strengthen a connection between or develop a bond and a connection between two guys or a group of guys that have never met, and that's uh, that's kind of yeah. what happened there. Like tracking that bear with you, and then we're all of a sudden high five and hugging. You know, like you know, yeah. just being so excited about the situation that we thought was actually kind of hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I think hunting does that for a, a lot of reasons. I think it's, I think if you want to go back and think about antiquity, I think it's very primal us hunting, but we weren't always hunting by ourselves. We had hunting parties. We had, we were as a group, you know, trying to feed our, feed our families and our tribes. And so there's a certain amount of camaraderie when it comes to that. And um, I think it's, you know, it's a neat thing. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I love hunting solo. I love, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to go do a, a two week solo elk hunt. I love that, um, that solitude, but being in camp with a bunch of really good guys and, uh, sharing stories both from hunting, but also from life, you know, those are, those are very, um, I think ingrained in us from a long time ago. We're just lucky enough that week and other weeks we've been able to spend together to kind of enjoy that, um, that camaraderie, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just so people kind of get to know who you are, because obviously I know who you sure. are and I've heard your story <laughs> so, and your story is great. Like I, I just love hearing it and I want to hear it again. And I think everyone should hear it. So can you just kind of tell everyone your background, how you got into hunting, um, and kind of what hunting means to you in that way and how it kind of helped uh, shape your life. Because I think it played an instrumental role in your life as well. Oh, sure. Especially yeah, with your, I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I grew up um, in in a situation. My grandparents lived in the country. I was kind of a city kid, kind of on the cusp of the city. Uh, pretty bad si- situation at home. Uh, single mom, uh, three kids. My dad was in prison. Um, I was. Uh, I loved to be outdoors, and I loved, um, you know, from an early age, I, I wanted to do a lot of that, but I just didn't have anybody. So, you know, I was a um, a squirrel sniper in our neighborhood with a Benjamin pellet gun, and and uh, got in trouble quite a bit as a kid. You know, gotten myself into some tr- trouble with the law, basically just being rambunctious and not having that um, that positive force in my life and uh you know hunting changed that for me because uh, in my neighborhood there was a uh, a group of uh, older guys who had kids and they all had um you know they had a a big um hunt hunt club and um they knew that I loved to hunt and one uh, one gentleman who was my best friend's uncle uh saw that I had this passion and this fire for it and uh invited me on my after you know i'd done some small game stuff um but i'd never i i thought if you were going to go deer hunting it would be like landing on the moon i never thought i would be able to do it and um you know this guy uh kind of took me in um you know i got to go on a youth hunt with uh, a bunch of dads and their sons and i got to see that interaction which was pretty cool because up until that point i I hadn't had much of a positive um, interaction. I mean, a few times when my dad was out of prison or out of jail, I got to go hunting some, but it was, it was literally something that uh, my mom could use to keep me out of trouble. So, you know, if I didn't make good grades, she'd be like, okay, you can't go hunting. For some kids it would be, you know, Hey, you can't watch TV or nowadays it'd be, you can't play video games. But for me, that was, that became pretty well, the driving force that in sports, the two things that really kept me from probably ending up in the same state as a lot of my family members. And so, um, you know, it just grew into this passion that, um, opened some doors for me. Um, you know, fed my family when we were, I didn't know this until I was in my late teens, maybe into my twenties where my mom's um, very often until I started hunting mm-hmm. and, uh, it never dawned on me. I knew we were poor. I knew we didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of food around, but all of a sudden we were meat rich and it, it changed the world for us. Wow. And that, that just developed into, um, more positive things in my life to where I was taught the right way by the right group of men who took it upon themselves to teach some wild kid, uh, how to hunt uh, the right way. And, and it just, uh, snowballed to where now as a mentor for other young hunters, I've been able to play it forward through the years. And it's, it's, it's a blessing. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that exactly. Like you said too, you had a good group of men that uh, really stepped in to be positive role models, uh, in your life. Right. And it was through hunting. So yeah. that's pretty, that's yeah, pretty it was, cool. It was through hunting, you know, they, I, I think back on those times, even I'm 52 years old and there are times where I'm in the woods and the things that I learned that first hunt, um, for instance, LS, that was the, the gentleman's name. He, we were sitting on a stump and, uh, I had a um, lever action, uh, Winchester 3030, Winchester 94. That's, that was his gun and it was well-worn. It looked like a, 
cowboy gun to me, but <laughs> he he taught me things sitting on a stump about head movement and eye movement and how to be quiet. And, um, I mean, just things that I, I was just thinking about that today, um, shooting my bow in the woods. It was like, man, the things that I learned at age 11 and 12, I'm still utilizing today. And I've been able to, through my, um, so through some mentoring, especially, uh, have a nephew now who's 16 and he's kind of a city kid. Um, but man, is he ever obsessed with hunting? So I've been able to teach, um, and I coach archery. I've been coaching, uh, the, the kids archery program in our County for the last few years. And, and I just hope that I can just, uh, mentor and, and, and get enough kids to hunt, um, yeah. to, just through observation, through leading through precept, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then growing up doing that, you were rifle hunting. Um, did you end up taking a deer early on with a rifle? Yeah, I did. I took a, I took a deer. I was 12 or 13 when I, when I took my first whitetail. Um, it, it was really hilarious and probably, I hope the statute of limitations is, is left. Not that I broke any laws other than I was supposed to have an adult with me. And, uh, my mom had taken a hunter safety course with me so she could be with me on on some of the hunts like a, maybe a year or two after but she was a hard worker she worked in a factory and unfortunately the day of the youth hunt she was supposed to work so she took me and dropped me off at this um, wood lot that I had permission to deer hunt in and uh, she was going to come back um, at 3 30 when she got off work to check in on me and um, I was there you know um, a little cold um maybe a little hungry, maybe a little scared. Cause I'm, you know, 13 years old and the, um, the, the right situation happened and, uh, a nice a big doe walked in. And by that time I had acquired my own, um, 30, 30 lever action. And I shot my, my first deer and I had to wait on my mom to get there. And then when she got there, we were both like, Holy crap, what are we going to do with this thing? Cause all we have is a station wagon. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, here's my mom, you know, who's not really into hunting and here's a 13 year old kid who's never field dressed a deer. And we're talking, we're, we're encouraging each other to break this deer down and, and to get it field dressed and get it into the car and, and get it, we had it back then. We had to take it to a check station, but you know, it was a, it was a very proud, proud moment. Cause I, you know, it, it had happened, um, when I was by myself and, uh, she was happy, uh, you know, we had lots of meat and it just, it just worked out. And then, and then from there, it was just, I was a full blown addict by the end. It was like, I'm, I, this is all I want to do. I want to hunt and fish and write and, and, uh, you know, what I still do now, you know, and, uh, I got into bow hunting. Let's see, maybe three years later, I found a, a Damon Howitt, uh, hunter in a pawn shop and it had a quiver and the broadheads weren't covered up with a quiver. It was an old quickie quiver that had the broadheads exposed. And, uh, I back then didn't have a tree stand. I just climbed up in a tree and happened to be on the right trail at the right time. But, you know, I ended up shooting a, a big fat doe with a, with a recurve when I was 16. And, um, that kind of started a whole boat hunting thing and, um, still doing it, still love it. So, uh, yeah, so you were kind of like one of the original saddle guys without the saddle. 
just climbing up without (laughs) (laughs) no saddle i think about that man it's like how dangerous was that i remember that um that bow too because it didn't have it had the broadheads exposed i still have a scar on my right leg where i was climbing up into the crotch of a tree to be able to get on a limb and drove one of those broadheads into my leg and like opened it up but oh. I was, and I looked down and I saw like, you know, what now would be subcutaneous fat back then. I just thought, Oh, that's white meat. You know, it's not yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, <laughs> so man. I ended up just kind of uh, holding pressure for a little while and, and refused to get out of the tree. And then when I got down and walked out to meet my mom, I had, uh, I had opened my leg up pretty good. She made me go get stitches. I think it was a bare razor head. I'd cut myself yeah. on, but, uh, speaking of saddles, I'm, I, I, I'm, uh, experimenting with saddles now and it kind of brings me back to those days yeah. of, of uh, just climbing up in a tree and holding on you know yeah yeah what do you think of them so far well i had it um i had a pretty bad experience a couple of years ago i didn't uh i'm a bigger guy as you mentioned so mm-hmm. i didn't have a great platform and so i used it for part of a part of a year and um kind of didn't like it anymore. I just gave it to some kid. Uh, some kid was getting, some high school kid was getting into it. And I'm like, here, take this thing. I, I'm going to throw it in a ditch if you don't take it. So, <laughs> um, but then, um, I, uh, I did some more experimenting. I like to, I like to run and gun a lot during the rut. Uh, and I hunt anything from sitting on a bucket. Uh, I killed a Boone and Crockett deer off a bucket, you know, with my longbow to, um, jumping, jumping into, you know, uh, a deer stand that's only six feet high, whatever I, whatever I can do to make the situation better for me, I do. And so saddle hunting, I think could really be uh, a game changer for, especially when you're able to run and gun on some property, um, mm-hmm. with, a you know, having a saddle and hunting different, uh, pinch points and travel corridors. I'm really going to use it on this elk hunt. Um, in Idaho, I found, already through map study i found some uh, really good stand site potential for wallows and uh, i've been in this unit before but not to hunt just to hike so i kind of know the unit and um so that's what i'm gonna do i got a new saddle i'm gonna give it a it's a new trophy ridge uh, i can't think of it it's the newest one they have it's a Ven, ventor i don't know it's a yeah. it seems to fit okay and, yeah. and uh for a guy my size and having the right platform i think the whole kit only weighs like 11 pounds or something, you know? Yeah. That's so, not bad at all. That's no. Light. And, yeah. and you know, the main thing is it allows me being a natural ambush hunter. And I would consider most of what I do, even elk hunting, I'm, I'm moving, but I'm really moving to, with an objective of getting to a spot that uh, might be a good pinch point or might be a saddle or something. I want to, you know, I'm not a, I'm not one of those guys that like calls even Turkey hunting, we have lots of great turkey hunting around here. I don't do a lot of running around. I, I set up in one spot and kind of figure them out from one spot and it seems to work. But mm-hmm. saddles are just a tool. And I think guys who use them, you know, especially over a good sign and, and understanding what they want to do with the, with the terrain, but soaking, you know, soaking hunting off of a bucket with a ghillie suit on, which it's happened a couple times. I've killed a couple of great deer just, you know, use it, utilizing cover and using a ghillie suit. Yeah. I want to get into that. I didn't realize you shot a booner off of a bucket. 
Like, (laughs) everyone's probably thinking, uh, yeah, we need to hear more of that. Oh yeah, sure. I'll I'll dive into that. I had a, I have a, a, a farm that I can hunt and I had seen the same deer two years in a row and he'd grown into this uh, big six by seven. And, um, I saw him in September, but where he was living was a really kind of overgrown CRP field with zero trees, just no, no trees whatsoever. And, uh, and if you got into the CRP, it was just, um, incredibly thick. You couldn't see anything. So there was one little pinch point that came off of a, um, fence row and I needed a North wind to be able to kill him. And sure enough, I got a Northwest wind. Um, so I went in and the idea was just almost like an observation stand. I was just going to see if I could, how deep I could see into the CRP. So I took, a took a bucket, just a, like a, one of those spinny top, uh, you can get them. Um, I'm sure you can get them at a Canadian tire and sit on top of a five gallon bucket and it'll, it'll spin and rotate. They're uh, fairly inexpensive. And I just grabbed my bucket and my ghillie suit and my longbow and set up on this pinch point and it was during the rut. And, uh, I had deer fighting in the, in the thicket and I took my, um, took some horns and put them together real fast but I'd set up the situation a little better in my favor. There was a tree. I love to find obstacles where a deer would have to come to the obstacle, like a downed tree, but he would have to come to the end of the tree so that I would have time to get my act together and make a, make a shot. And he read the script perfectly. He was in there, I guess, duking it out with another big buck. And, um, I hit the horns and made a couple of, um, snort wheezes and he, came out, hit the, uh, the down tree, uh, turned to go around the root wad and gave me an eight yard shot. That was it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It, it's probably score wise. I've been very fortunate and I'm, I don't know misconceptions about me as a hunter, but I I live in an area where we have some good whitetails. So Mm -hmm. I've killed five deer that right out, you know, above 170, And, uh, He's probably the biggest bodied and highest scoring deer, mid 170s, you know, 178, 179, something mm-hmm. like that. And, and just a big six and a half year old stud buck that um, had a lot of testosterone that day. And I had a lot of luck on my side. And he gave me it, you know, I knew the minute I shot him, I made a perfect shot. And I got to watch him go down. And, and it was just the, the, the perfect situation. So, wow. Was that your first, uh, Booner or uh, have, have that you was, shot a couple before? That was my third one. That was my third one. So my first one, uh, I call it my sick as hell buck because yeah. I, I was, uh, it, I actually shot it with a muzzleloader and um, I was dating my wife, but not married to her. And I had permission to hunt um, her family's farm. And uh, I had the flu, like I had 101 temperature, um, her folks were really cool. They, they put me up in the guest room because they knew I, I was obsessed with hunting, but I woke up that morning, uh, the alarm went off and I was so sick and I sat up to get up and I thought, man, I'm just not going to do it. And I laid back down and it was like some supernatural force hit me in the chest and told me to get up. It was just like, get up. And I got up and <laughs> got my gear mm-hmm. together 
I had an old loggy bayou stand that I, I didn't have a hand climber. I just hugged the tree and went up the tree and I got the wind in my, in my favor with a few inches of snow on the ground. And the crazy thing on this same ridge that I killed this buck off of, I had missed him with a bow, uh, two weeks earlier. And, uh, I just had this feeling like I didn't run him out of there. Like I know he's using that. So I found a good tree to climb and got in there uh, before daylight and, but still sick, man, walking across that. I had about a half a mile walk, so not a bad walk, but mm-hmm. man, I was sick as a dog and, uh, got up there and, um, you know, was just going to shoot a doe. I just said, I'm just going to shoot a doe because my father-in-law wants me to shoot a deer for him. And, and a doe stepped out and, uh, I was letting the slack out of the trigger and then she looked over her shoulder and there was a, 170 inch deer standing there and I made a good shot and ends, ends up being the same buck that I missed a couple yeah. weeks prior. So that wow. was, that's my, that's my sick as hell buck. I mean, it ended up, you know, it, it, it was a really great whitetail. Um, and you know, one of my prized possessions just because that day it was, I, I had a lot of quit in me, but something got me up and got me going. Well, you had some quit, but you, you had, you also had tenacity there too. And, yeah. uh, yeah, just to get up like that, that's, that's pretty neat, man. I didn't realize that when he, yeah, it, it is a weird, it was a, when I tell that story to my, my friends and it's like, I, I, something like grabbed me and told me to get up. And if it was just my drive and my, my hunter's intuition or whatever it was, but there's zero chance I would have killed that buck. Um, you know, laying in bed with 101 fever, but. And, and I think there are times where as a hunter, you just listen to that drive and, you know, I just got back from a mountain goat hunt in your wonderful country and uh, up in British Columbia. And, uh, it was the same thing, man. It was like, there was a lot of quit on those days where I just, I didn't have that. Like I wanted to quit climbing. Um, and I would just tell myself, I just got to make it to that bush I would make it to one bush and then I would see another bush and I'm like, okay, I just got to make it to that bush. And before long, you climb the whole mountain. Yeah. And it's, I think it just comes down to, um, not, not listening to that little governor of your brain. Your brain tells you to stay in bed. It's nice and comfy there. And you know, you've got a temperature and you should not go out or maybe it's telling you, you know, you're a flatlander, you're way up here in British Columbia climbing after mountain goats you know, maybe you could take it easy, mm-hmm. but I don't think, I don't think hunters have that in them. People who want success, just find it. And they just, they fake it until they can make it or mm-hmm. they find a way to, to grind their way through it and they get it done. Well, yeah, I think your life is just a living testimony to that as well, though, with the career mm-hmm. that you chose and it's a difficult profession, lots of schooling, right? A lot of sacrifice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So yeah. <laughs> translated over to that I, as I, well. Hey man, I, I almost flunked out of school. I, I shouldn't be, you shouldn't be saying that about my academic career, but let me tell you, I went to college, uh, in Murray, Kentucky. Um, I played basketball prior to that, but I got to Murray and, um, my program that I was in, they had a, they had an attendance policy, but I didn't know about it. I didn't know there was an attendance policy. So I had straight A's and it was the rut. It was the middle of November and I had permission. There was a hundred thousand acres of public ground to hunt. And 
I was just like I am now. I was just kind of obsessed. So I thought, well, I got an A average. I don't need to be in class this week. It's the rut. So I took the week off and went deer hunting. And, uh, man, I came back to school that Monday. I killed a, I killed a nice buck on that trip, but I came back to school on Monday and I, I looked at my grades and I had, I had all C's and you could only have, uh, I think two C's in the program and not flunk out. And I had four C's. And it was like, wait a minute, I, I don't, I had A's last week and I had to go to the dean and they're like, yeah, you missed a week of school. And I'm like, well, it was the rough. Yeah. How, how could I not? Yeah. So I nearly flunked out of school because of this passion and this, this, this love of hunting. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's one of those things that I think, um, you know, you learn to sacrifice and you learn to, you know, I, t- I'm, I'm a big martial artist. I, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've trained now for nine years. And, um, you know, there is, there's a lot of that. Um, those of us who choose to do hard stuff, whether it's jiu-jitsu or hunting or, you know, fishing, just, you know, none of that stuff's easy. Um, but you end up finding that, um, that drive and that will to be successful. And, and those who, you know, want an easier time of it, they'll go do something else. But those of us who are in the fight and in the game, especially hunting and fishing and, you know, things like jujitsu. I mean, you choose hard stuff because life's boring if you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so rewarding when it works out, right? Yeah. That's, you know, that's what I tell kids whenever we talk about hunting. They're like, cause I love, I mean, I, I love all weapons and, but I, I really am into hunting with traditional gear and, whenever, um, I, you know, have success with my, with, with a stick bow, it's like the reward is so great. And yeah, there've been times where big giant deer have walked within 40 yards and they're just out of my, out of my range. And I've had to let it, let it happen. And, but man, when you're standing over a a really great deer, um, or any animal for that matter, and you, and and you sacrifice to get it, no, no matter what weapon, it means something. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, you've been a successful whitetail hunter. I would say very successful, yeah. but there was something like you said earlier, a drive to experience new places, new species. So where has yeah. that all taken you? Well, uh, I had, when I was a kid, I had a great grandfather. He was a very big influence on me and, um, I would go to their house, um, and sit on the couch and he had a stack of hunting magazines and we would, and as he would be watching whatever sports show, I would be reading the hunting magazines. And I I looked at him one day and I just read an article on mountain goat hunting. And, um, and it was, you know, just, it was just a cool story. And, uh, I looked at my great grandfather and I'm like, someday Papa, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt these white goats. And he's like, you know, rolls his eyes. I'm sure like some kids sitting there, you know, he's like a, yeah. Okay. I know. And then he looked at me real serious and he said, you know what? I believe you will. I believe you'll do that if that's what you want to do. So I've been fortunate enough to, um, to go to British Columbia and, um, and hunt mountain goats, uh, drawing a, a goat tag in the States is really difficult. And, um, uh, you know, um, I'm lucky enough to have a good job and I saved for it and I was able to put together a, um, uh, a bow hunt for mountain goats up in British Columbia with a beaverfoot outfitting with Troy Wolf and Ben. And, and, um, you know, it's almost the same story. I got to meet, um, 
a good group of guides and I met some good guys on this, on the trip and I got to go mountain goat hunting and between, you know, having the success of a, of a, of a mountain goat and, and having, um, the kind of hunt we had where it's again, that, that typical story of climbing for 10 days and not getting an opportunity. And then I did booger up an opportunity day five, uh, had a, like a six hour climb and, Got to a goat. Um, the, the deal with, with Troy, my guide and I was once we got to rifle range, um, his job was over. He has to keep me in sight, of course, um, uh, for the regulations, but I wanted to make the stock. And so I made a stock on a, a fair billy, um, after just a, gut, a gutter of a climb, um, got all the way to him and I put on a rain jacket and forgot to put my, arm guard over the top of it and, um, got, you know, made a shot and missed him. And, uh, the Billy, like they always do, you know, runs a hundred yards and then climbs and stares at you for the next 30 minutes. And, you know, it's, it's humiliating and hilarious. And, and, uh, <laughs> man, I laid there like a baby like side of the mountain, just sobbing. Cause it was so hard. I, I, all my toenails had come off and, uh, it was just a really rough hunt. And, uh, and I boogered up my opportunity, you know, and, and, uh, but you know, sometimes, uh, things work out. God looks after fools sometimes. And I, I got an opportunity later on in the hunt and, and killed a nice, you know, it was a younger Billy, but it was like, a, it could, it was a booner to me. I mean, I didn't care. I was so ecstatic and, and to have that, that experience. And then not only, not only goats, I, I went, you know, I went back and did it again this year. I, I love mountain goat hunting. It's so hard and so much fun at the same time. And, um, shot a moose on this trip. Um, my first, my first moose I've killed. Um, I've been, my passion also is hunting. Um, I really enjoy do it yourself type, um, elk hunts, which we're able to still, still do here in the States. There's still places you can just buy a tag over the counter and, and, um, that's what I'm doing. And then, in four weeks, I'll be in, in Idaho. And, and it's just a sense of adventure to have these opportunities. And, and as a kid, you didn't think you'd have them. And now you just, I've learned enough uh, about myself and about equipment and tactics and how I want to hunt. And, uh, and now it's just, I'm at this station in life where I'm going to get after it some more. I got big plans in the next few years and going to do lots of stuff. Well, what are those uh, plans? What do you got? <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, well, the first thing is this elk hunt. Got to, I'm knocking that out for sure. Yeah. Um, I talked about killing elk, but here's the thing. I'm the world's best cow killer. Like <laughs> I refuse to go on a public piece of ground and pass up a good, a good shot. And so, you know, we, we can elk meat is some of the best meat on the planet, man. And, um, I tell my wife, I get ready to go on a trip and on, on elk hunt. And I'm like, I'm going to kill a bull this trip. And then I'll, I'll call her three days in and go, yeah, I shot a cow. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best on this trip. And I'm going to take two weeks. And I really want to kill a bull elk. I've killed five cows. This is my, I have a 33% win percentage. So 33% of the time I've killed elk and the other times I've either boogered up the shot or so elks, elks next. Um, I have a, a legitimate giant deer that I have a, good chance of killing. And so he's on my, my mind every day I wake up and <laughs> I go glassing and looking and, yeah. and, uh, man, um, he's, 
he weighs heavy on my brain. And then this coming spring, my wife and I will uh, be celebrating our 24th wedding anniversary. We're going to go, uh, we're going to tour the West and we're going to drive up to British Columbia and get with my old friend, Troy. And I'm going to do a spot and stalk black bear hunt. Oh, nice. That's going to be and fun. Then the, oh, I can't wait, man. I, I've not done a, I, I've, I've put a move on a couple of bears, but I've never really, um, you know, made that the main objective. And so this, will, this is one of those things that I want, I want there's a lot of logging roads and just so mm-hmm. you can get up high in glass and then you can make moves. So I'm hoping uh, to get a bow shot. And then, um, the following fall, I'm going to go back to elk hunting. And then the spring, my wife and I will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary and we're going to Argentina. I'm going to do, um, I'm going after a red stag free range and a black buck free range. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to do it with a with an ASL uh, American Standard Longbow, which is a uh, kind of a Howard Hill style longbow. So there's a there's about three years worth of plans right there. Mm-hmm. All thing goes well, God willing, and health holding up, and everything else financially works out. That's that's the game plan. Yeah, those red stags, they're pretty neat animals. Like they're like an elk, but they roar. They got that guttural roar. Yeah. Yeah, and I will be there for the roar. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's funny is um, genetically, if I'm not mistaken, they're the same genome. They have the same genetics as our elk do. They just that crown and that roar develop, whereas our elk um, bugle and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, they have free range down there because um, it was an, obviously an introduced species. They've been around for a hundred years, and uh, they're um, you know you're. It isn't like, um, and nothing against people who go over to New Zealand, but a lot of those hunts aren't free range. They're a lot of high fence stuff on, on big, huge parcels of ground, which, you know, to each their own. But um, hunting a, a roaring stag, um, that would be a first cousin to our uh, Rocky Mountain elk, would be would be pretty cool. And, yeah. my, and what the cool thing is, my wife's on board with it. She wants to see... Uh, Buenos Aires and Argentina and it's our 25th uh, wedding anniversary we've done a bunch of weird stuff on our anniversary like we've done triathlons together and marathons together so um, this will be kind of plush like I'm going to make sure she has a good time I'm going to be in the bush a little bit uh, trying to find a stag but I'm going to make sure she's she's taken care of yeah that's good I just kind of want to go back to the the moose hunt there uh, when yeah. you shot your moose, did you shoot that with a longbow or a, like a stick no, bow? No, I did not. Um, so the, the deal was with, um, with these guys, um, I just wanted to kill a moose. I wanted moose meat. I mean, to be very honest, I drove 32 hours specifically for moose meat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, loaded my truck. I slept in a Cabela's parking lot on the way up in Montana. And I, I was going to the, the, um, I didn't know if I had the legs for mountain goats. And so, um, I have, uh, I have a pretty ratty knee. So I, you know, several knee surgeries, I played ball in college and that sounds like an excuse, but I just didn't know if I had the legs for uh, climbing, but the deal with, with, uh, Troy, um, my friend Troy and, uh, you know, the whole, the whole time was, uh, his, his brother Warren also was, was helping and, they, they were guests. They, they knew how badly I wanted to shoot a moose and I wanted to do it with my recurve. So we spent 
eight days. Um, we never, I mean, we got within 40 yards of a small spike fork, which I didn't care. I was there to bring home moose meat. And, uh, and so, um, it never really happened. And, um, we were at the end of the hunt and, um, I had, uh, I really only had one more day booked, but, but I would, since I drove, I had a little bit of leeway and they were super gracious, um, and allowed me to stay. And so I basically, um, Troy handed me his rifle and said, we're going to go hunt mountain goats. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm a hunter first <laughs> yeah. and weapon, weapon secondary, you know? Yeah. So we, yeah. uh, we made a climb, um, a really horrible climb and got, well, I saw, I actually found my Billy from the bottom, which we had, he and I had little bets, uh, all the time on who would spot stuff first. And he constantly just beat me, uh, spotting animals, but I spotted my Billy above a bunch of nannies and, and he and I made a move and it was a pretty long climb. And long story short, I shot a great Billy, um, got him, uh, got him, you know, the hellacious climb back down about killed me because I was just, dry and it was all those things that you love about mountain hunting I and mean, you mm-hmm. were just I was at my limit or what I thought my limit was and I just I found a way um looking back you know from a medical perspective I'm sure I was dehydrated I was probably you know bordering on hypoglycemic and a bunch of weird stuff that happens in your brain when you don't have blood sugar but um so the next day was a recovery day except we still walked 10 miles we were averaging 12 miles a day walking looking for a moose Oh, wow. And, uh, the very last day we covered 15 miles. My feet were a mess. And, and I got, we got to the end, we came up to the Kootenai river and there was still 30 minutes of daylight left. We hadn't even heard or saw a moose. We'd seen a couple of grizzlies, but no moose. And, uh, and I'm talking to Troy and I'm like, Hey man, I've really enjoyed this hunt. This, I don't care if I kill a moose. I came here to share some time in your beautiful country. And it's just been unreal. And he kept telling me to shut up. He's like, shut up. We still have 30 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I started in on the, Hey, look, I killed a mountain goat. I didn't think I'd ever get to do that again. I didn't think I had the legs for it. He's like, shut up. So a few minutes later, he's like, he starts saying something along the lines of, man, I wish we could have got you a moose, but you know, you, you, you were hung in, you hung in there and you worked hard. And all of a sudden I look up and I saw a paddle flash in the, in the alders. And I'm like, there's a moose. And he's like, where? And I'm like, right there. And the moose steps out and, uh, I got on the gun and got a good rest and I ranged him and, uh, moose are big animals. I mean, God, I could not believe I made a great shot. Um, he was down pretty quick and, uh, we had to ca- cross the Kootenai river to get him and, um, got to him and just realized how big a freaking moose is. <laughs> They're just mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it, you know, uh, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm obsessive about meat and about meat care and about doing my, I love breaking down the animal myself. I'm a big chef. I love to cook. I love to process my own, all my own game. I do everything out of my little butcher shop in my, in my barn. So it was like, you know, I wanted to do everything that night, but because we're in grizzly country, we had to flag it and uh, come back the next morning and finish the job because it was such a tremendous job. And it, I underestimated how big a moose was and how much meat you would get. But we start, we, um, we glassed him from the top where we could see the moose. Okay. And no bears were on him. So we were able to get to him and, 
and uh, finish our, our work. And uh, I started cutting at 8 a.m. and I got done cutting about one o'clock. And then we had to, he and I hauled that, uh, we had the, no bones. We had 400 pounds of moose meat and uh, head and horns. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, pretty, I mean, I was probably three quarters of a mile to a road where we could leave the meat and come back and get it. But man, that was a, that was a test of how bad you wanted it because you're carrying so much, such a heavy load time and time again. But man, mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to get home and cook moose meat. And my family, we've eaten moose meat. We've, my kids have, they finally know what, what moose meat is. Cause we've eaten a lot of it the last, the last year, man. Yeah. And they like it. Oh yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, uh, I, I ground up 200 pounds of it. Uh, I didn't add any extra to it. Uh, I made some really good cuts with the muscle groups, uh, made great roast and uh, great steaks. Um, it, it got turned into food for, for us. And, uh, the, you know, moose meat is, um, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've not had a lot of moose a few times. Friends have shared moose meat, but I really enjoyed it. it. Our, our whitetails here in the Midwest are some of the best tasting meat in the world. I mean, I've had lots of wild game and I would put our whitetails up there as far as, um, but moose meat's flavor. I like the flavor of moose meat. Now this moose was a pretty good sized moose. It was a, he had a broken, um, he had a broken paddle, but he was a 50 incher. Oh wow! And he's right on that shy. He's right on that Shiras line. You know that um, mm-hmm. that line for SCI for Shiras runs up the Kootenai River. So he was actually on the Shiras side of what you know whatever line the biologists say is a Shiras versus a Canadian. But he was a big moose and probably more Canadian than Shiras. And but he had a broken paddle, which I didn't care anything about. I wasn't there to hunt trophies. I was there to experience. Um, that beautiful part of the world and uh to grind it out and if it if it would have happened earlier in the hunt i would have still been satisfied and happy but the fact that i had almost 120 miles on my boots and and had just the last 30 minutes of daylight was able to kill uh a moose and then to share that uh, that tough pack job with my friend troy and we were he you know he's a horse he was carrying more mm-hmm. than me of course you know but we we got all of it out and I got all of it home and, and turned it into some just unbelievable meals for my family over the past year and friends. And uh, I have a friend named Monty Browning. Who's a, who's a, um, if you don't know who Monty is, he's a, he's a world renowned bow hunter. Uh, at one time he had the world record brown bear with a long bow, world record Cape Buffalo with a long bow. He's a, he's a great moose hunter goes to Alaska every year. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky and fortunate enough, to have him here in November and uh, we cooked uh, moose backstrap and it was like a meal for Kings, man. It was unreal. Yeah. And you're a good cook because I've taken some of your tips that you've given me for wild game, like deer meat, the shanks. Yeah. I remember you always telling yeah, me the well, shanks are you know, awesome. I, I don't think you have to have wild game and make it be boring. I think, yeah. you, you know, the, the fry, everything, it just doesn't, you can turn, you can turn wild game into some of the most, beautiful dishes and they have it they have their own flavor you know you can i remember the the bear that i shot with you i brought the shanks home and i did asabuco with bear meat which is basically you take the shank of the forearm essentially and you cross cut it with um a meat saw and you end up with these little meat donuts 
and you um, you braise those. And I use like um, I think I was using just beef stock for that. And uh, you braise it with root vegetables, and it turns into this unreal kind of um, pot roast with bone marrow in the middle of it, which is really good too. You know, so I, I think you a lot of times um, that's where I, you know with other hunters, I try to I try to encourage them like, man, turn that into some good food. Just don't just turn it into jerky and grind it up. There are some sensational sensational meals that you can make with with wild game I and mean, even my mountain goat, which mountain goats notoriously tough. And, and, and it is, I mean, it's mountain goat taste to me as close to beef as anything that there I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly tough, but I got home and took the uh, back straps out of the mountain goat and, uh, actually took them on a, a camping trip not too long ago. It was the last back straps I had. And I, I, uh, I rolled them out covered them up with saran wrap and pounded them with a rock and then put cheese, uh, provolone cheese and, uh, and bacon on the inside of it and rolled it up and skewered it and cooked it on an open fire. And the guys I fed, it was just like, it was like they, they, it was, they were blown away by it. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, awesome. my mouth is watering right now. Thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this too, man. What's the best meal you ever had in the, in the back country? Well, any meal, it seems like, <laughs> In the back country? Yeah, I can't. Uh, I my... had. If, if, if you, if you think, I, I think the best meal I ever had, period, maybe, maybe in my lifetime was I was elk hunting with two companions and my knee was blown out. Like my knee was the size of a football and I couldn't make a climb up to where we'd gotten into elk. And I went and sat I went to a water hole that I thought, man, I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And a whole herd of elk showed up and I double lunged a big cow elk. And, uh, my knee was so blown out. I couldn't, um, like I, I couldn't do much with her. Like I was going to need them to help me pack it out, mm-hmm. and, but I was able to field dress her. And I took the internal fillets out the inside, you know, the, the two big tenderloins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I took off my shirt. I had a smelly undershirt to kind of, um, keep the bears and, uh, the coyotes off of her. And I, I got down to camp and, uh, I started cooking these, these, this tenderloin and I looked up the mountain and, uh, you know, my guys were like three miles up the mountain and I could see their headlamps coming off the mountain as I was cooking this, uh, internal tenderloin. And I had a uh, bacon grease. Um, it was kind of a truck camp situation, but we had to do a lot of climbing. We were hunting at like 11,000 feet, but mm-hmm. I couldn't do it because of my knee. And those guys got to camp with the biggest smile on their face. Cause they, a knew I'd shot an elk and B they knew they were getting ready to eat. And we ate that fresh internal filet cooking onions and, and, uh, uh, bacon grease. And we've been eating freeze dried for a week, you know? Yeah. And we look around and we're all eating by headlamp. And it's like, we all agreed it was the best freaking meal we've ever had in our lives. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And just the satisfaction, right? Being out there, there's man, the call of the wild, I guess. eh? That's kind of what comes to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That really, the the satisfaction of, you know, from a, from a hunting perspective, you love, you love it when it all works 
you love it when um, you you have a plan and everything works out. Mm-hmm. But sometimes God works for the animals and it doesn't work out. You know, he works for them too. You <laughs> yeah. can pray for one, but he, he sometimes he, he's going to reward the animal, you know? So, um, yeah, I love that. And to, per- and to be, oh, what's ahead. that now? Oh, I love that perspective. I haven't actually thought of it in that way that God rewards the animals as well. You know, yeah. it always seems like so a one way street. For them too. I mean, yeah. you know, it, and so, and to, to not be able to climb and be all buggered up and your knees jacked up and you think you're the worst hunter in the world because you've shown up out of shape. And then you go to a water hole that wasn't a hard hunt and a whole herd of elk show up. And sometimes God rewards you. He rewarded me that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's, that's the beauty of what we do. You know, we're in the woods and if you can find those little victories and you can find those things that, um, you can find beauty in even the days where you just feel like you're, you know, this, it didn't work out. Like this, this was supposed to a and B and C was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can, I think part of the reason you find perseverance or the way you can find perseverance is to say, okay, A and B didn't happen, you know, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a good plan and it doesn't mean it won't work next time. And finding that perspective each time you go out and there's been some hunts where I've, I've hunted 10 days and never saw an elk. And it's like, I'm the world's worst elk hunter. And then you go to a water <laughs> hole and one just shows up and you shoot it. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah. That's, that's right. You know, like it's, I talked to another guy from, yeah, he's from Iowa, but he lived in Alaska for 10 years and in a remote native community up there. And their, their perspective on hunting was luck. You know, there was a a lot of like, Hey, you had some good luck. You got an animal and they never asked how big the animal was. It was always about, Mm -hmm. Hey, did you uh, get the, the tenderloins. Did you get the stomach fat? Did you, uh, are you right. cooking it? Or are you smoking it properly? Because it's a big smoking like culture there for the meat. Right. And it was just yeah, it's a different yeah. perspective, not saying that that is the only and the best perspective, because I think there's a reward in kind of holding out for a mature animal at, at times. Right. So yeah, it was just, sure. But yeah. It's just, I like hearing the perspectives, you know, um, differently and it, it does we're all hunters right it does grab us at some point and just there's something about it that i don't know if we can articulate it always accurately but we try i agree but we try so yeah you, you do that through you know you do that through stories and you do that through uh, the written word and things like this medium through a podcast and you, mm-hmm. you try to articulate it but true hunters and true sportsmen true outdoorsmen that are in the woods. I know we've all had that point where we've looked around and we just said, man, I can't even describe how beautiful this is. Oh yeah. Um, it, and we just don't, words don't do it justice. Uh, even though I write a fair bit and I try to journal and I try to articulate it, um, your, your eye, when you see it, or you have that feeling of like, this is right. Um, when you're overlooking a big, you know, valley and you're glassing and, it's just, um, it's really hard to articulate, but the better job we do of it and the better jobs as hunters and outdoorsmen that we're able to articulate it the best way we can, um, that we're doing it justice when, when we try, you know? Yeah. And even like just how we're talking about the meat and that reward, that meat reward, it's like we, everyone has to eat to survive, you know, whether you yeah. eat meat or 
if you're a vegetarian, but uh, most people eat meat and they can identify with that. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important. You know, um, I think it's important that we don't, I mean, look, we all want to kill big booner whitetails. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I love it. I love hunting mature deer, but let me tell you that the three or four best deer I've got on my wall won't score 140. Mm-hmm. They were old, mature animals that I had dance after dance with, and I had more respect for those. Maybe, maybe, maybe even more so than the opportunities where I've been able to kill, you know, bigger antlered animals. But um, you know, when I'm serving food to to let's say a non-hunter, and uh, they're you know the first time they're eating maybe a deer backstrap cooked the right way and, and they eat it and you see their eyes light up and they're like, man, this is really good. They don't care if it had antlers or not. Mm-hmm. It's meat, it's food. And and I think there's something primal to that too. You know, I think that you could, you can think about in, our ancestors in, in antiquity. Um, we cared about food and if you're doing justice to the animals and you're, you're hunting, like driving up there and bringing all that moose meat back. I was, I still on cloud nine about that. And I don't, I mean, I think you, you know, with what we do and, and what we enjoy, um, the food angle and the food part of it, if it, that's a, that's a huge part of it for a lot of us. You know, a lot of us aren't big, you know, trophy hunters. They're just, we're there to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you, what would you say that thought just came to my mind here listening to that is like, you drove 32 hours for your moose hunt. You got that moose. Yeah. Somebody might say, Mike, uh, you know, you can just go to the grocery store for the fraction of the price. So right. what do you say to somebody who comes at you with that argument? Oh yeah. It's a, for me, that's easy. Number one. Well, the, the first thing I would say to that is I took care of that meat from the time that I pulled the trigger until I served it to my family. No one else touched that animal. The first human to touch that animal was me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't say that about going and buying it from the grocery store. And so knowing that I took care of that animal um, and, and wasted zero amount that I could, I mean, I did everything I could to use everything. There's some There's some positives to that. The second thing I would say would be the rewarding nature of looking at your food from a different perspective. If you're looking at your food from behind the counter, um, you lose what's happened to put in behind the counter. What put that beef that you're buying behind the counter was death. And um, the way I view hunting is I'm, I'm responsible for that animal and I have respect for that animal. I love that animal. And if I'm going to kill something, I'm going to make sure it's taken care of and it's going to feed my family. So yes, it's probably per pound. Yeah, it was very expensive, but from a peace of mind and looking at my plate when I've cooked good food and I look down and I see an honest plate, it's 100% honest because Mm -hmm. I killed that animal. I butchered the animal. I brought it all back to my family and I cooked it. You can't say that about store-bought meat. No, that someone else did your someone else did your work for you, and uh, at the end of the day, I want an honest plate when I look down. And if I can look down 
and see the, the vegetables I grew in my garden and the moose that I shot in October. Um, there's some, there's, there's a symbiotic relationship there. You're connected to that food and you don't get that from the store-bought chicken. Mm-hmm. That's right. And the adventure, you know, like just the adventure of going yeah. out there and. And, and self-reliance and, and understanding that, you know, you chose that adventure. Now, now what, what happens if you come home with no moose? What have you got? You have adventure. You have, you know, hey, sleeping in a parking lot in Montana in your truck so you could get there on time to hunt. And uh, seeing a, a sow grizzly with two cubs and watching a, a cub grizzly trying to eat blueberries awkwardly, you know, where mom looks like Edward Scissorhands over there <laughs> flipping blueberries in her mouth so easy. You know, it's those things that um, the, the adventure part of it is what makes the meat when, you, when you're eating it, to me, it, it's more rewarding to say you you went through all of that to bring this meat home. And um, if you didn't kill a moose, if I would have came home and we would have eaten whitetails that I shot, it still didn't take away from the adventure, um, the sense of of doing something that's very primal, that's that's very natural. You know, we're natural hunters. That's that's how we got to where we are. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Without that, the human species would extinct that's for sure yeah oh for sure for i mean you know we 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 were hunter gatherers and we moved forward because we knew we were better at it than anything anyone else and uh you know i, I don't have a problem with non-hunters um if if they don't hunt I, i'm i'm fine i just want people to understand too why i hunt it's it's a it's an important part of it and and you know, it's, it's difficult um, to have those conversations, but I think they can be had intelligently. You can talk to people about hunting, and if they don't agree with your lifestyle and what you do, then that's fine. But I think it's also, you know, from their perspective, they have to say, hey, risk versus reward. You're risking a lot for maybe not coming home with a moose. You know, you're, you're finding that sense of adventure in, in addition to having food on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So I guess kind of just to finish off here, uh, it's been over just over an hour now. So can you just kind of explain a little bit about your elk hunt? I don't want you to give any like, uh, you know, yeah, sure. identifiers away of where you're going, right? Like, but just kind yeah. of your, your two weeks, you're on your own. What kind of drove you to want to go on your own? Was it because you uh, just couldn't find anyone to go with. Um, everyone was busy or, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, or, I burn out all of my, my hunting partners. No, <laughs> yeah. this is, yeah. I think solitude and part of it is, um, you know, I have a very busy job where I talk to people every day and, and having, uh, having that, um, that ability, you, you find out a lot about yourself when you're by yourself. And, um, you know, of course, modern technology, I'm going to have a little satellite communicator where I can text my wife and say, I'm not dead, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, this is a, this is one of those things that I choose to do ever so often because it, it helps me appreciate my family, my job. It helps me appreciate running water and having a toilet, you know, mm -hmm. um, and when you're, when you're doing things like that, where you're living out of your backpack, sleeping in your hammock, eating freeze dried food, you're, um, you learn to sacrifice a little bit. You're, you're understanding that you're, um, you're a blessed person. 
when when you're by yourself on things like that, it makes you appreciate uh, the things that you have, the loved ones you have, the the luxuries you have. And, uh, you know, for me, those hunts are important. I think you find out a lot about yourself when there's solitude. And uh, on this particular hunt, it's a, it's a bit of a vision quest because I haven't killed a bull yet. And uh, I'm taking my longbow and I'm just going to try to make it happen. And um, God willing, it will. It'll be, um, you know, it's a, a little bit of a grizzly area. There are not a lot of grizzlies around, but that sense of adventure is there. I mean, I think it's good ever so often to be a little bit cold, a little bit hungry, and a little bit scared. Those <laughs> yeah. things wake you up as a person. And they, when you're a little cold, a little scared, and a little hungry, um, you appreciate the things when you get out of the bush. Um, and maybe you appreciate a big fat elk steak at the end of the, at the end of the hunt, you know? Yeah, that that's so true. You know, on the, like I've done a few moose hunts up North and those are tough hunts because moose are spread out and there's a lot of time for introspection and self loathing to, to yes. happen and take place yeah. on those hunts. Yeah. And you, I come back from those hunts and man, you appreciate your kids more. You appreciate your wife. You appreciate your job. You know, it is just, that's it. yeah, that's it, man. That's yeah. it right there. Because how, how lucky are we to be able to go do that and still be able to come home at the end of the hunt to a family that cares about you and, and a job and, and, uh, you know, with my job, sometimes, uh, you have little pity parties. I'm sure all of us do. And you, you know, you, you feel like you're just banging your head against the wall sometimes. And, and then you go on one of these hunts and, and you're able to really kind of get in touch with yourself and, and, and you, you start to realize, man, you have so much to be thankful for. You have so many, uh, people in your life that you, you value and you value them. Not that you value them more, but you appreciate them more when you're back home with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just gives a real clarity, like a real good perspective on life and where you're at. Yeah. 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 And there's, and there's, you know, there are times, um, you know, when I'm, uh, I'm having a rough patch at work or whatever. And my wife will, after 24 years of marriage, she'll even say, you need a trip. You really need a trip. You need to refocus, recenter, recalibrate, reload. And, uh, I think those trips allow uh, those of us to do it. And it, they don't have to be, you know, two weeks in the bush humping around in a backpack. It, it can be as, as simple as, you know, getting out in the woods for an afternoon and just finding that solitude because, you know, we, uh, we lose it in this really fast paced world where technology is just, you know, kind of at our fingertips. I think sometimes we just kind of forget who we are. We're, we're animals and we're, we're natural. And when you're outdoors, you start to find that again, all of a sudden you hear better and you see better and you're, your proprioception of your, you know, your movements better. It didn't take long to get back to being that, um, being that hunter, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a good point. You, you brought up there that we are part of nature. We are nature. And so many people exclude us from that and pretend that we're not a part of the natural element, you know, <laughs> the natural yeah. society yeah. there. Like, it's like, yeah, we are part of nature. We are. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I think that if more people 
got away and got outdoors and just became um, what what who we are a little more and just took a little more time to put that technology away and just kind of listen to a bird you've never heard before, listen to an animal that you've never heard before. Um, things, things slow down as time goes on when you're in the bush and you're hunting like, you know, on a, on a long trip, all of a sudden your ability to hear and see and kind of be part of nature, it gets better and better as time goes on. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. Yeah. And I do agree about you don't need to go on these two week uh, trips or those are nice. Don't get me wrong. I love them. And those are probably my favorite hunts. But just even sitting in the whitetail woods and sitting all day in November waiting for a big buck or whatever animal you're intending to go after that day. It's uh, yeah there. You can still have a lot of, you know, uh, solitude and your your thoughts can wander, you know, and just kind of reassess your life just there like you That's said right. for an afternoon yeah 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 i agree 100 percent. yeah well man uh i'm not going to keep you any longer here uh i could and i want to <laughs> selfishly <laughs> we, can, we can talk anytime brother you yeah. call anytime yeah and i definitely want to hear about this two-week uh trip later on you know after the season yeah. maybe hook up and kind of get your perspective and see if uh you know you had any adventure i know you are automatically you're going can't to wait yeah i can't wait i have the third i have the uh, thousand yard stare i'm inside 30 days so i'll, oh, I'll definitely let you know okay yeah right on mike uh really appreciate talking to you and catching up um okay brother yeah you take care of yourself thanks all the best all right all the best bye-bye